Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. So we'll start in one moment, but um, as we prepare to begin, reflecting on um, any experiences you're having in the community that might be good to talk about, process in the Sangha, uh, questions about uh, anything to do with our um, essential elements or guiding principles or uh, the infrastructure that we're continuing to develop. Just reflecting on, uh, you know, what what it is that you're uh, experiencing, and uh, you know, the uh, it doesn't have to be all bad either. We can also use this time to talk about and celebrate some of the successes that we're having in uh, the transition back to in-person meetings, and the ongoing successes we're having in the online sanghas, and. Um, so just knowing that this is a time for the community to, to meet with me as I represent uh, World Services, Refuge Recovery World Services, and a reminder to anybody that stumbled in here that's not sure where they're at, this is not a refuge recovery meeting. This is a, uh, I think at one point we were going to call it town hall, you know, kind of opportunity for the, the town, the Sangha to meet with the um, uh, nonprofit organization that's supporting the Sangha, Refuge Recovery World Services. So I'm here to represent and to communicate with you about anything that you'd like to talk about regarding refuge recovery this evening. And the floor is open for questions, comments, clarifications, uh, complaints. <laughs> whatever you'd like to use the time for. And would work best if you raise your hand so that I can call on you down in the, um, I think, reactions or maybe under the participants. I see a hand from one co-host, Vanessa. Go ahead and jump in, get the conversation going. Vanessa. Thank you, Noah. Uh, now that Zoom has a waiting room, is it still necessary to lock meetings? Uh, locking meetings sometimes creates issues for those trying to rejoin who have poor internet connections and are often dropped from the meeting. Um, was it ever necessary? Yeah, was so that, the, was that something that we were doing in order to try to avoid Zoom bombing? Yeah, so in the beginning, there was no waiting room. And there were a lot, and this is as I understand it, I'm no Zoom techie, but um, there was no waiting room, so anyone can bomb. So we started locking meetings. Um, and then now all Zoom meetings have waiting room, mm -hmm. but some people are still in the habit of locking meetings. Right. Um, so I didn't know like logistically what that, because for me, I have, I have shoddy internet. Um, most of the people in my region have bad internet. So none of us lock meeting, but then if I go to a meeting out of the area and it's locked and I, I hope I know someone in the meeting because I can text them and say, please let me back in. So I didn't know uh, where we stood on that. 
Uh, well, my own, um, I mean, I don't know that World Services needs to make any sort of proclamation about this, but I can share my own um, feeling about it, which is that um, people should be welcome to uh, enter and exit refuge recovery meetings late, uh, enter late or leave early, um, ju just like we would in person. Like if you gotta, you gotta go, you gotta go. Uh, you're running late, you're still welcome to come even if you're running late. So if people are going to lock the Zoom rooms, um, then they should uh, definitely be very attentive to anybody in the waiting room um, rather, than, rather than somehow keeping them in the waiting room for too long. So I, again, I feel like it would be a group decision rather than a dictate from World Services. Each, each group would have to take a group conscience how they wanna handle the waiting room. Um, but the way you asked it, I think was, is it necessary? doesn't seem like it's a necessary thing um, and probably we will continue occasionally to get zoom bombed um, that that probably will happen um, either by the sort of random you know kind of zoom bomber or a disgruntled member who will get on and and you know uh, disrupt the meeting and that's something that's going to happen both online and in person and and um, and it's totally okay to ask someone to leave if they're being disruptive in any way. Um, I hope that answers it. Yes, thank you. Can I just throw something out there about that? Sure. Um, in the meetings that I chair in the other, on the other side, you know, um, when you lock the room and so what's the meetings locked? If somebody comes to the waiting room, you don't know that they're there. So you will not know that someone's there if the meeting is locked. It will tell you that the meeting is locked and you don't sit in the waiting room. So, you you know, because you were kind of saying, like, be attentive on it. But from my knowledge, and that's why, like someone had said, I always get texts from people like they'll go knock, knock, you know, like, let me in. And uh, and I had the zoom bombers as well and so that's why we started locking it um you know i think if they want in they're going to get in regardless um but just fyi once it's locked there is no waiting room so then if if somebody if it's locked and there's no waiting room but then somebody texts you how do you find them you have to unlock it mm -hmm. yeah you just go down to security and unlock it and then when i see them come in we lock it back and and another reason that i started doing that um, and I'd only had one uh, Zoom bomber, but um, some people were kind of worried, like if they were in the middle of a deep share and then someone came in and interrupted the share, um, you know, because they were saying how it's disruptive. But I, you can turn the doorbell off so not everybody can hear it when they come in and out. But that was another reason that I always would keep it locked. Uh, was just in case somebody was really, you know, sharing about something and they, you know, wouldn't get interrupted or if they didn't, you know, maybe it was uh, more women than men and a man came in and, you know, just for whatever reason, that was one of the main reasons that we actually, we still lock it a quarter after. So I just wanted to throw that out there about uh, the wedding room. Yeah. Well, so my, my own, um, again, each group should have a discussion about this and the meeting can take a a group conscience about this. Um, it is one of our guiding principles that all are welcome. And it doesn't say anywhere that all are welcome as long as they show uh, up on time. 
<laughs> so uh, my, my sense is that we should do our best to create a welcoming uh, environment with a very low barrier for people to enter uh, our meetings. And you certainly don't want somebody coming for the first time, running a few minutes late and not being able to get in. So uh, access and inclusion um, are, you know, are high on our priorities from my perspective for refuge recovery. And I can um, lob questions at you all night. So if you ever don't have a hand up, I'll be here. I muted you, Noah. I am sorry. How dare you? <laughs> Kelly, go ahead. Um, how should I word this? Yeah, I get that that message that you just said there. All are welcome. So what is the best way, I guess, to protect yourself against like predatory behavior from for man or woman or they, them, whoever? What is your best advice of that? I don't, um, certainly uh, I can't you know, represent world services, our nonprofit and make some sort of proclamation about the best way to protect ourselves. Um, it is one of the dilemmas of peer led groups that doesn't have professional facilitators where we are all uh, in the position where we have to use our own caution and our own discernment and our own um, boundaries knowing that there will absolutely be predatory behavior in recovery rooms and recovery programs. And this idea that, um, oh, well, we're all here and, you know, hey, we're Buddhists and we're practicing, um, you know, we, we're gonna have, um, you know, sex addicts that are seeking help in, in refuge recovery who are still a bit in their addiction and that's going to come out sideways at times in the community. Um, and so it's just very important. I, it's, I don't have an answer really, Kelly, other than like with the question, each one of us needs to be asking ourselves that question and using that healthy sense of um, openness balanced with a healthy sense of like caution and skepticism around people's motives sometimes. Um, okay. Because it, is part of, it's part of the reality, I think in all communities uh, and, and probably especially in recovery communities where there are, um, you know, very wounded people. There's, there's some of, you know, you, you know, some of the healthiest, most well-adjusted recovery people you'll ever meet will, will be in, in refuge. And, and then also some very, uh, unrecovered people you will also meet um, that are still uh, acting out in, in some way. So. So, okay. Um, I appreciate that answer. How does one, it's probably, I probably already know the answer, but I guess I guess I wanna hear it from you as a group uh, conscience, but 
I want to get so badly to the place where the human experience is not attached to me. I want to be unattached, but not numb. But I want to, I've been through this experience before, but it's taking over like, like it's fresh. But my true self knows that I'm safe. My physical body is just continuing to react because of unhealed whatever. I guess I just see the fine line between knowing that the true self is safe already, like this, this physiological chemical reaction in my body is just the human experience of responding. I think just more meditation is my answer really. On and more time. Level, on some level, yeah, and you, like you knew you had your own answer and it's, the longer we maintain our recovery and our abstinence and learn to sit with it and learn to see that, you know, we are being, you know, uh, flooded by, you know, old, old feelings, old memories, old traumatic experiences that are thoughts and feelings, but that feel so intense. And so, um, and you'll get more and more space around that the longer you practice and less, less reactivity and more ability to respond will happen in, in, in our recovery for sure. And it takes months and years of dedicated practice to get much room around it. Um, and really, you know, boundaries, you know, like that, that, that is what it is. It's, it's uh, boundaries, but even with the best boundaries, you know, sometimes you're, we're gonna get so fooled or seduced or conned, you know, by someone who's actually uh, in some predatory behavior rather than um, the, the good story that they tell and um, presentation that they have. And it takes a while to kind of figure out like, oh, I was actually just being manipulated. And I, I didn't see it until I saw it. Okay, and now that we see it, yep. and now that we have boundaries, and if boundaries continue to be crossed, doesn't matter how many new accounts you make, doesn't matter if I pull social media, or they show up at your fucking door, because this shit is not fucking anonymous. Yeah. But yeah, that's just me catastrophizing. I just need to stay in the present moment. Yeah. So. Well, and you know, with all of those, yeah, it, 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 it is possible. Um, what, and, and my own sense is, Anonymous or not anonymous, I don't think that I don't think that would help us that much. But you're right. Like, yeah, your last name is on your screen, right? And so um, e easier for you know somebody who wants to find your social media and all of that to find it. So that that might be something right from the beginning to say like, oh, I don't need to put my full name on the screen. I you know I want to actually have a bit more. Um, is that what we're talking about? Okay, so boundaries as in, you're right, I could actually prepare myself for a more private. Yeah. I see what you mean. It's coming together. Yeah, being a bit more cautious. Yes. And uh, okay. yeah, just so that I can be like, here, here you go, next female or male, here you go, you take this. 
And then I, and then, you know what I mean? Do you see the tumbleweed? It's like, okay, I'll blow it that way. That's fine. I can take care of myself. I'm safe right here by myself just to let it go to the next person. I don't totally follow that part. That's okay. I'm just saying, letting this person do the same thing over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Are we not, am I not helping to, how do you say? Like enabling something? Am I enabling this? Yeah. And how far is my boundary going to go? I'm not angry. I'm sorry. I'm just yeah. here. Well, I, you know, I feel like I've answered it in a general way as much as I can for now, but also Kelly, I'm happy to speak with you. If this is something that's happening in refuge at this time, I do want to know about it. And, and, you know, there's, there's limitations to what anybody can do in this all are welcome, um, yeah. you know, thing, but I, but I, I would like to know about it and support you in whatever way that I can. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to me, everyone. <laughs> Richard, go ahead. Hi, everyone. It's good to be here. I'm sorry I was a little bit late. So I have some questions about the new script that's out with some of the language. I don't know who to address this to. No, I guess maybe you, but other people that created the script might chime in. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Good. The standard script for online meetings. Um, I was just wondering why we're saying now uh, that the non-theistic recovery program, it's not, I don't care about non-theistic, the recovery program does not ask anyone to believe anything, only to trust the process. What, where is that coming from? So directly from the refuge recovery book. All right. Um, this part about, um, I guess I'm okay with not believing anything. I understand the intention behind that. I, I'm thinking of it from people who have been maybe kind of uh, piggybacking on Kelly's uh, take here is that people coming into the program with trauma have been told to believe things in the past before and proven to not, not be to be true, to be betrayed. So I'm a little uncomfortable with saying to trust the process. There might be another way to say that that gets the same message across. Yeah, I hear you. And I'm open to your um, ideas about the wording language. You know, language is important um on, on many levels well i'll work on that i haven't come up with anything right now but i'll, I'll consider that thank you for being open to hearing me uh, the other one that i in that same paragraph that says when sincerely practiced it will ensure a full recovery from addiction can we really say that i mean what is that we will ensure yes money back guarantee <laughs> okay you know that very few guarantees in life. That's one of them. All yeah. right. All right. And then the crosstalk statement. I some of the meetings have put in that um, crosstalk is commenting on or offering advice or offering teachings to others at the meeting, and that's been dropped out of this. But I, I actually had long conversations with uh, secretaries and, and group reps at many different meetings about members offering teachings, and I wondered why that got left behind, or maybe it never was included. I don't know. Um, I think that our sense, my sense is that, you know, offering advice covers offering teachings and that teachings and advice are the same thing and, and uh, it's repetitive. And that a lot of what we were trying to do in this new script is to um, trim it down. 
Yeah, no, I get that. Leave, leave more room for people to meditate and share with each other and less script. So, um, right. And in that respect, I think it's done. I think it's done what it intended to do. So I appreciate the work and effort that's been uh, given to doing it this way. All right. That's all I had with that. I haven't had a chance to look at the other ones, but that was the one that we used the most. So thanks for that. Yeah. I mean, and you'll see that they're all using that same opening uh, section around trusting the process. And I, I like your question about it. And I think it, it's, it's a very worthy uh, question because in the refuge book in many places and, and right here in the script, we're saying like, Hey, we're not asking for blind faith, but also, um, there has to be some, you know, in order to practice this, there has to be some encouragement and some, some trust, some confidence in this. Well, I like the you previous won't, wording. Won't even try it. I like the previous wording, which had to do with many of us have found that this path works. And if you're willing to do the hard work, you will find this too, or you may find this too. Yeah. I mean, I like that it was, it was anchored in, in direct experience, not in some general statement. Um, it's less abstract. It's more grounded in personal experience the way it was said before. Yeah. I hear you. Also, I had a, me I had a question about all the different formats. Are we saying that we're having all these different kinds of meetings now or what's going on with all those different scripts? Yeah, an encouragement um, for refuge recovery to diversify from... Uh, it's always this choose your own adventure, whatever meditation, whatever <laughs> section of the book that's getting read over and over and over to an encouragement to let's have more book studies where we go through <laughs> the book as a group. Let's have more meditation studies where we take the meditation instructions sequentially. And each week we go through them uh, so that if you come to this meeting, if it's your home group and you go every week, you'll get all of the meditations over the next two months rather than loving kindness every other week. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, or meetings um, that are just focused on mindfulness, you know, of like, hey, let's just, this is a Wednesday meeting where we're just doing the four foundations of mindfulness and we're deepening our insight through in this meeting, investigating the four foundations um, systematically. So I, you know, kind of propose this as I would love to see more diversity in the way that meetings are run, more speaker meetings, more book studies, more meditation studies, inventory studies. Let's take an inventory question and make that the topic. Um, love the way refuge is going in this sort of general way where choose you know kind of it feels like choose your own adventure uh open to the which is great um and that's good that's become the standard and it's how i originally uh created it but i'd like to see some more kind of systematic meetings that are training us in this whole process training the newcomers come to this meeting every week you will learn this book you will learn all of these meditations you will learn you know uh, how to how to do this thing and not just a kind of like based on the whims of the current person who's asked to read or lead the meditation. Thank you. It makes it clearer. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. Good to see you. Uh, Sebastian, go for it. Hey, as always, I got a gang of questions, but um, when I was going to ask pretty easy stuff, uh, you know, some softball stuff. Um, you know, sometimes we lead these meditations and uh, I've done it and I've heard other people say it, you know, go into this thing of like two minutes to practice. 
or two minutes of silence before we go into that. Is that a big deal? Oh, they're actually reading the... Uh... Yeah, kind of to let people know that it's going to be like two or three minutes of silence. Right. Kind of go into that. Um, it's not, you know, the scripts weren't meant to, to do that, but I don't think it's, I think it's okay if people say it, that it kind of gives people a... a a warning, we're gonna be quiet for the next three minutes, um, but they, they certainly were not designed for that. You know, the, all of the stuff in the parentheses, the pauses, you know, it'd be a little bit weird if people were like, and now bring your attention to your breath, pause. Yeah. <laughs> three minutes of silence. So I, I feel like it's a little um, maybe awkward to, to name that, but I can also see that it's, it's not so problematic or not gonna make any rules around it, but it's not meant to be done that way. Right on. Yeah. Thanks. Noah, can I comment about that? Sure. Some meetings chose to do that because some people get anxious or traumatized, either that they're new to the meeting and don't know what's going on. They think that they've been kicked off the meeting or they're not used to those kind of silences. So some meetings that I know went ahead and said, we're going to announce that we're having two minutes of silence to put them at ease so they know what's going on. Yeah, that's a kind and generous intention behind that. Um, while we're on this topic, I have something uh, kind of in the same vein. Is it okay to give a little pre-meditation instruction for new meditators before we begin, begin reading the meditation from the book? So I noticed like on Richard's comment that they'll say like, we're going to read this. If this comes up, just sit through it. And there's going to be pauses and just breathe and focus on your breath. And if you have trauma and yada, yada, yada. Is that okay to do? Um. Not really. It's not really okay to do because it opens the door for people playing teacher that are not qualified. And although many people doing that uh, might have really good advice and really gentle and altruistic and beautiful, uh, well-informed advice, some people will um, give really bad advice. Um, if we open it up to that kind of teaching, um, giving and, uh, uh, you know, secretary telling people how to do it or how not to do it or so it's actually not really okay to do that. It's, it's um, the meditation is the meditation. In the most loving way, I tell everyone, stick to the scripts. <laughs> um, Please stick to the script. And it's just for unity and, um, and to avoid some of the dangers of allowing it to be too loose and allowing what has happened in the past and will certainly continue to happen is that people won't be giving good advice. And that's why we're saying like, don't give that kind of advice to each other. Even though sometimes it will be good, sometimes it will not be good. So let's not do that and let's just stick to the meditation script. Yeah, so when you're saying stick to the script, you're specifically referring to stick to the meditation script because we have, when you actually look at the meeting script, we have a little bit more play with that based on the group's conscience, right? Two different things. Yes, but it would also not be so cool for a meditation uh, group to take a group conscience to say we're going to um, put this whole intro in. Um, so when it comes to offering the meditation instructions, stick to the meditation script. Thank you. Misty, you're next. 
Hi guys. My concern is new meetings. Um, over a year ago, I started my meeting and I didn't get much instruction and that was okay because I've ran a meeting in person before and I came in with the reading picked out and the, and the meditation picked out and ready to do the whole thing by myself. And I did quite a few times. Um, my concern is that now it's evolved to um, a more complex meeting structure and there's multiple jobs and multiple um, ways to be of service that people don't really know what we're doing because we haven't been doing it that long. Now, I feel like, you know, we're, we're, I feel like we're, we're new again, unfortunately. And um, I think a strong foundation is needed to grow these meetings properly. And we don't just, I was in a business meeting today where somebody new who hasn't been to many meet or any online meetings at all wanted to start a, a meeting and they can't. I worry, I have concerns about that. I feel like somebody who wants to start a, and secretary a meeting should have some experience on Zoom um, in service as a door person or a contact person. So they know what a, a meeting looks like. They know what a business meeting looks like. They've been at those things. Otherwise, we're, I feel like we're, it's just going to grow and people are going to leave and come back. And they're not going to, when it comes to a business meeting, they're not going to know what it looks like. And even though there are instructions on the website, um, I just think it's really important at, at this at this at stage in refuge recovery to have an experienced base, even if we have to limit meetings to we have 10 meetings, you know, at a day or 12 meetings a day. And this is what we have. This is what we're able to handle so that we know that they're being ran properly. Um, I hear you. Uh, mostly I would offer that um, you or anybody else who needs some help, um, uh, Vanessa and Sebastian, especially in the online meeting world, Vanessa and Sebastian are uh, available and engaged in training people and supporting people and how, how to do online meetings. It's not that I, it's not that I need help. I, I don't need help. I, I, you know, I can do the resources. I'm worried about other people that will need help and won't take it as serious as seriously as I will yeah. and I even told Sebastian I need to go and print all that stuff out because I'm old school I'll read it on paper and um and so I know exactly what it's gonna needs to look like because there's been changes since when I started my meeting to now I'm worried about the person who doesn't take it serious and just wings it yeah I don't think that there's um I don't think that we're going to do that I don't think we're going to limit uh, meetings or tell people that they can't do meetings if they haven't um, jumped through a bunch of other hoops already. Um, you know, refuge recovery is based on the model of Alcoholics Anonymous and, um, you know, of peer-led meetings and of this, uh, this model that says, um, you know, any two addicts getting together to help each other as a meeting of, of recovery. And we have a killer um, structure, right? And we have the essential elements and we have the guiding principles and we have the how-to and it's all really outlined. And from that place of like, we've offered 
um, what to me feels like a really good structure um, that we have to actually trust people um, to show up with good intentions and to lead meetings in a good way and to not get too hierarchical or too, um, you know, we don't want to create a whole bunch of barriers to, to people being able to start meetings. We do have some suggestions around time, abstinence time. We do have some suggestions around, um, you know, not suggestions, but, you know, kind of policies around when people can vote in meetings. And so the structure uh, is really, I think it's really good. You know, I might be biased. <laughs> since I created the structure, but I think we have a really good structure and that we should really be uh, in an encouraging and trusting place and not in a like, it has to be done perfectly all of the time. We have to have a, a loose, um, loose guidance and support and that that's how these kind of self-help mutual aid society recovery programs work best in, in, in my experience. Um, and that that's what we are and that's what we're gonna to continue to be. And so, you know, if people wanna start meetings, they're welcome to start meetings. And if some of them um, fall apart or don't work out, that's part of it too. You know, like there's not a, there's not a way to, to control that. Okay. So can I butt in for a sec too? Um, sure. every, uh, every new meeting does get a Close training. Door, so every new meeting sits with Sebastian and I and goes through a training. Um, with it and then pretty soon we're going to offer that training we're going to open it up so anyone who didn't get in that like the first you know in the past can have access to the same tools available and so hopefully people take advantage of that can i add something as well so yeah. <clears throat> just that we have slowly but surely and i think it's um noah has been very thoughtful about it, um, which is um, allowing and creating a space for support and um, conversation and education before meetings even start. So I, I'm the one who feels all the questions that come in. And I can say 100% at this point, like four or five months, four months into doing this, that. I probably get six or seven emails a day from someone, you know, different people wanting to start meetings. And when I send them kind of our breakdown that we have, like, you know, here's what we're looking for. Here's what, you know, this is the beginning steps. These are, this is the process that you're, we'd like you to go through. You have a one-on-one -on -one with Noah for 15 minutes. Once Noah approves, like we get, you get sent back. I put you in touch with Vanessa and Sebastian and other volunteers and then you have to agree to you know the essential elements and guiding principles like they have to go through a little bit of effort okay. and I can say for sure that about five percent of people actually make that first appointment with Noah so if if I get 10 people one person maybe maybe makes an appointment that that, that actually is 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 good to hear because um I was afraid I mean, I mean, I want this to grow just as much as anybody, you know, because I know it saved my life. And so I'm not saying I don't want it to grow. I'm just concerned, you know, just anybody can come in and start a meeting and then and then poof, they're gone. And for the people who are going to that meeting, it, it could be traumatic for them or at least, you know, 
but thank you. Thank you for that information. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. And we're continuing to set up that kind of support system. Um, but as Noah said, like anyone can set up a meeting if they want to do the work. It's just looking at, okay, you have to read over these things first. So there is a little bit of a hoop that you have to go through. Good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Is that okay, Noah, for me to say? Yeah, it was great, great to say and to clarify. <laughs> and I'll also add to that, that um, some of the people that I have meetings with that say they want to start meetings, um, I actually discourage them when I find out what's what's happening uh, in their life and process. And I say, actually, why don't you just attend meetings for a few months before you start one? And sometimes I give people the thumbs up and say, yeah, you should totally do this. Um, and um, so there is, you know, not only what Rebecca's saying, a kind of process where a lot of people aren't following through because they do need to get a little bit of uh, training in order to do it that they don't want to, to have. Uh, some of the times, you know, after I talk to somebody and find out that they're not really quite in recovery yet or brand new in recovery or have other circumstances, sometimes I'll say, you know, I think it might be better to wait for a bit. Just be a, be a member for a while um, online and then start a meeting later. Cool. I got a, I got a username and a password, so I guess it's changed. <laughs> Thank you. Robert, you're next. Thank you. I thought I was just gonna come and listen and thanks to Vanessa for sending me the audio of the last two of these sessions um, for some questions that I had a couple weeks ago. But, um, I do actually have some additional questions or a question and a, and a hope. Um, so hi to people I know and hi to people I have yet to meet. Um, I'll start with the hope. I think it was addressed in one of the previous sessions that there's meant to be a group service representative from each meeting once meetings are back in person again and that those group service representatives will attend some sort of area service um, so that information is disseminated throughout all the groups in an equal way. So I look forward to that time because I think that'll help um, address a number of issues that have arisen or that could arise. Um, and perhaps there's something to say about that and where that's going, I don't know. But then the question just has to do with outside readings. And I, I only listened to the sections that Vanessa pointed me to in the last um, couple of these Q and A's. So I didn't listen to the whole thing, but my question has to do with outside readings. I've been to, um, couple meetings where um, the secretary chooses to read something prior to the meditation that is inspiring to them that is not from the refuge recovery book. Great readings, but not from our conference approved literature. Um, and then also sometimes when people are um, doing the reading for the week, sometimes they are reading something that is inspiring to them, but not necessarily from the refuge recovery book. So I just wanted to, if that hasn't been addressed, open up a conversation about that. Thank you. Um, thank you, Robert. So to, first, the first thing around, um, yeah, group reps and not just the in-person meetings, every online meeting should also have a group rep. And, um, uh, my, and we're still in process with this. It's not um, the, the whole structure and format of how we're gonna organize the group reps and the regions and the, uh, interface with world services is not clear yet uh, and be patient with us as we create this. Um, 
but yes, yeah, so the, the first step in that is that every meeting has a, a, somebody who has the, the service position of a group rep and um, whether in person or online. So that's what we should be doing right now. We should be focusing on making sure that the meetings that you attend have group reps, even if they don't have much to do yet. They're partially there in support of the secretary and the group itself. And eventually they will have a, a broader role to uh, help with the information and um, process of uh, democratic structure building. The second thing is uh, around the uh, outside literature. Um, I am aware that it happens. And um, as I believe everyone's aware, uh, it is against our um, essential elements. And um, it shouldn't be happening. And um, if it's happening regularly and if people um, want that to be happening, then on some level, they, they, it's not a refuge recovery meeting if it's using outside literature. And um, we have a, a very clear, in, in order for it to be a refuge recovery meeting, it needs to be based on the literature from refuge recovery and not outside literature. So I think the, the other question about that or, or process is like, well, then how do we skillfully communicate to the meetings that are doing this or the people who may not know any better, um, right, right? There's probably maybe two camps. There's, there's people who are like, well, I didn't know any better. I just thought it was like, I really like this book. So I'm sharing something out of this book that I really like and it's innocent and they just need to be kindly and skillfully informed that although that's great and maybe that's a wonderful piece of literature um, not to be brought into the refuge meeting keep that for your own inspiration um, and not bringing that into the meeting um, and then there's maybe other people who know that it's um, not uh, okay and are doing it anyways and then there needs to be a conversation and and at some point if there's people who really want to do that then Unfortunately, you can't do that and be a refuge recovery meeting. And uh, it's, it's a little bit like what I was saying before of uh, people wanting to give some good advice before meditation. Sometimes it's, you know, it's great advice. It's the same thing with the outside literature. Sometimes it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be totally in line. I mean, people have even asked, hey, can we read Noah's other books in meetings? And the answer is no, you can't read, even though I wrote Refuge, you can't read my other books in meetings. We're only doing the refuge recovery process in refuge recovery. Um, and some, so some literature might be totally in line with what we're doing, but if we open the door to outside literature, then nothing is going to stop people from reading the Bible in refuge recovery meetings or the Quran or some Buddhist stuff that is super um, whack you know, and is not in line with what we're doing. Um, it would be, you know, even if we said, oh, only, you know, it has to be Buddhist. You could find a whole bunch of Buddhist literature that talks about drinking alcohol and, you know, and it's not okay, right? Like, so it's just, um, it's not, it's not okay to read outside literature. And if you are in a meeting and that is happening and you're going to confront the person, please do so in as kind of a way as possible. Um, and or let us know, I'm happy to have the conversations with people and I'm, 
not going to come down super authoritarian on anybody, but I am happy to educate people and say, you know, this is what is a refuge meeting and can happen in refuge meetings, and this is this can't happen and still be a refuge meeting. So um, that's that really helpful. Yeah, and, and it seems to me that once there's a a service structure that's established, that will help empower group service representatives to be able to say to secretaries, just a reminder from world services that came down at our last area service meeting that we're only to use refuge recovery readings, or we're gonna change all the pronouns to they, them, or whatever it might be, that'll sort of unify things across the board. Because right now, um, you know, some people read the newsletters when they come out, some people read the website, but some people are going on what they learned on how to read a meet, uh, run a meeting three, four years ago and haven't accessed any new information. So right. thank you very much, it's helpful. Which also points to the importance of um, having contact information for all of the secretaries and general uh, and, and represent, you know, um, group reps so that we can actually make sure that they are get receiving the communications and that we are in communication with them. Because like you said, yeah, there might be uh, people who, you know, are, are running on something from years ago and aren't even aware that um, what they're doing is not kosher anymore. Michelle. Hey, um, hi everybody. So that kind of brings up, I had a question before, now I've got a secondary one and it's, and I quote the book in my meeting, page 46, about having a positive intention, being a protection against relapse. Is it kosher or appropriate to set an intention for the meeting? Like meet everything with kindness. Uh, where would you do that in the, meeting you'd put that in the script or you would freestyle it at I do have it in the script and I have it I just quoted partially what I have and I quote the book and the page number uh -huh. and then but for the other meeting I was thinking about doing it before the meeting officially starts which may or may not be a kosher thing I don't know what are your thoughts on that um number I think it would be okay if you're pulling stuff right out of the book um, and not freestyling too much. So I, th I think it would be okay. I think anytime we're pulling stuff out of the book and, and sharing that with the meeting, that it's okay. Um, but um, as the secretary, you would need to take a group conscience to make sure that everybody in the meeting um, agrees that they wanna add this to the script. Um, meeting secretaries are not allowed to edit the scripts by themselves without the, um, uh, process of the, the democratic process of the group agreeing to make changes to the script. Um, so does that make sense? It, it could be okay. Yeah, absolutely. As long because, as the group because on the Sunday one, we did take a group conscience and we've changed the script to the newly suggested one and decided to keep in that piece, you know, so it was voted on, but I'll bring that up at the other meeting, I secretary. My second question is about training, because it sounds like we're talking about online training, but as far as starting an in-person meeting, is there some sort of suggested spiel that I would want to give to a possible location in order to sell them letting us go there and have a meeting? Um, we've never created any kind of um, proposal to host a meeting spiel. Um, I think it's really just left to the individual to go and say, hey, this is refuge, this is what I'm doing, and uh, can we rent the space or you know, would you be willing to host a meeting? 
Um, do you feel like it would be helpful if there was a script for that or some kind of? I mean, you're talking about something that was used. Uh, well, you're talking about like not freestyling, and then like that opens the door for kind of you know freestyling an approach. You know what I mean? So I mean, I know that. I mean, I trust myself and what I would say. You know what I mean? But like it might be helpful for other people in the future to just kind of go, hey, this is, you know, what we're doing. And, you know, I don't know, just a thought. Um, yeah, I mean, not the, 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 I feel like it feels very different, like in a meeting, freestyling can really change the uh, environment of the meeting. When we're, as an individual member, explaining to someone else what refuge is, um, yeah, I mean, it probably could be some pretty whack <laughs> interpretations. You know, we're like this Buddhist cult that. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you don't want to have people roll up with that. I don't. I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't really know how to address that very well. But so you know, the answer is we don't. We've never developed anything like that yet. Okay. My sense is you show them the book, you show them the website, you show them the, maybe the meeting format. I think that probably would be the best of saying like, here's what we do. Here's our, you know, here's our format. We do this, we say this, we meditate, we share with each other. And then you just kind of tell, you know, show the people exactly what it is that we do in the meetings. And that's probably all the information they really need. All right. Thank you. Welcome. Richard, jump in. So this is kind of a new topic, but not really, because we've talked about it before, about branching out for uh, groups that sort of falls in, in line with what Michelle was saying, uh, branching out with new groups into hospitals and institutions. Uh, they might be, uh, I, I'm borrowing from my AA experience of many years, that they might be a different kind of format in those kinds of settings. Uh, I don't know if the board's up to date or wants to move on that yet, or if it's premature, and I don't want to push the river here, but I did want to bring it back up on the front burner because I have some um, inclination to go into the local hospitals and jails and introduce them to refuge. What do you think about that? I think it's a great idea. Um, I think that for the most part, you could stick with the essential elements and, and guiding principles while doing uh, service in, in institutions. Maybe the one place that won't be as easy is the rotating leadership, um, you know, and, and maybe it'll you'd actually take it for a longer period of time of saying, like, I'm going to bring this meeting into this jail for a year. And then after a year, I'm going to recruit someone else to do it rather than, um, you know, and also I, I recently there was a, a person who was starting meetings, refuge meetings in the um, Chicago Cook County jails. And we were just discussing this and they're, they're, they're doing it, they're bringing them in. Um, uh, of not only the rotating leadership, but also um, their, their intention was if possible, because at that particular institution, people were doing longer periods of incarceration of even, could we even get them trained on those units uh, and have them actually lead the meetings rather than the person from the outside coming in and being the, the leader all of the time of actually getting meetings going in institutions where it really is peer led by the inmates, by the people there. And so um, 
I don't think that World Services at this moment is ready to say this is how it's done, but um, a, an encouragement to explore that. And, uh, you know, if, if people like you and other people that are doing it will actually, you know, go in and do it and figure it out and then report back uh, how it's going and what are the what are you running into? What are the what are the issues or difficulties or, uh, you know, guiding principles that are challenged or essential elements that feel challenged? Um, by doing the, the hospitals and institution works. Sounds good. Thanks, Noah. Well, Sebastian. Uh, back again. All right. So last uh, last month, I had some questions about the fourth guiding principle, and I still got some more. I've been hanging out, uh, you know, attending some of these new food meetings. So um, this is stuff that's kind of come up a couple times. So uh, one of them, it's kind of like a two-parter, I guess. Uh, can people that have are dealing with food issues hold the service position but still drink? Uh, you know, if that's not my main thing, uh, can I still have a glass of wine every once in a while since I'm really here for food type of thing? And the other part of it is uh, cool. All right, so it's a nope. <laughs> and then, uh, so then the other part of it was uh, then why can alcoholics binge on food and hold uh, service positions? Like sometimes maybe they go from, you know, dealing with their uh, alcohol or substance abuse and then start uh, turning towards food. Um, refuge recovery is based on Buddhism. Buddhism has the five precepts. The fifth precept is to abstain from all recreational drugs and alcohol. And um, we are all following this path that is an abstinence from recreational substances path. Um, so no matter how our uh, addictions are manifesting, whether it's food or sex or money or uh, drugs and alcohol, we're all following the, this, this solution, this is an abstinence from recreational drugs and alcohol path, period. In order to hold a service position in refuge recovery, abstinence from recreational. That's the, that's the, the guiding principle there. Um, addiction, the way that we're doing it is self-diagnosed. Um, you, we get to decide. We, we, we have to admit when we have crossed the line from indulgence into addiction. And so this question about the, you know, recovering alcoholic substance abuse addict who is actually also in a food addiction, um, if that person has not become aware of that or acknowledged that, um, we don't get the diagnose like, hey, that sober person's a food addict. That sober person has to diagnose that themselves. Now, if they do and they are utilizing and saying like, I wanna be in recovery, and I have this bottom line behavior around this process addiction, and I'm not sticking with it, then that is considered a relapse, right? And all of us are, um, anybody addressing a process addiction is making their own bottom line. And no judgment about relapse. Relapse is part of the process for a lot of people a lot of the time. Um, but in order to hold the service position, um, and, and even like if there is a relapse, it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, um, reestablish and continue to be of service. But if we're um, in that kind of, re if, if somebody's in that kind of relapse where 
they've um, kind of given up on the recovery for now and they're really in the addiction and they're not you know, uh, trying to arrest it or trying to come back to the, the, the bottom line behavior. Uh, in that case, that person should not be taking that service position if they're in active addiction, even if it's a secondary active addiction, even if they're sober from drugs and alcohol, but they're in an active addiction that they're trying to address, but failing to maintain at this point. So it's, um, it's I hope that that helps. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that that's clear. Um, our commitment is abstinence from the recreational and adherence to the bottom line behaviors. But if someone hasn't made a bottom line behavior, we don't get to judge them and say, hey, you should have a bottom line behavior. <laughs> and you're not living up to my standards of what your bottom line behavior should be. I feel that. Thank you. So like, just to, cause like, I'm trying to like the way we're talking about it is theory. Right. And then like, if I think about it actually being put into practice, so let's say a real situation. And I, I don't know if this is a real situation. If it is, I'm sorry. Um, but so let's say I have a, uh, I'm a secretary for a sex addiction meeting. We'll go sex because no one has that meeting yet. Secretary for sex addiction meeting. And I have a glass of wine once a month. I lose my service position. Yes. Um, I hate for it to sound punitive, but if you're um, having a glass of wine, you shouldn't be secretary in a meeting. You're not adhering to the essential elements and the guiding principles. So um, I don't think somebody should fire you from that. You should just acknowledge that I'm not doing this thing. And so therefore I shouldn't be, um, secretary a meeting in this thing because our thing uh is abstinence based whether you're an alcoholic or not no no wine period <laughs> um and it's fine like if people want to do that but it, to to do this and to support people in this if you're having if you're drinking using any sort of recreational then you should not be secretary a meeting period That is our guiding principles. That is part of our essential elements. That's what it means to be uh, engaged in refuge recovery and have, hold a service position in refuge recovery. So if I was going to Overeaters Anonymous, I just, I'm trying to think of this in the, in the, in the big container that we've made of like, um, all are welcome, you know? So if, if I go to um, Overeaters Anonymous, I don't know what their, their, their thing is, but I don't, I think you're allowed to do other stuff if you want to just abstain from your overeating addict, uh, process addiction. So like, aren't we kind of like by saying like, you can't have a glass of wine, like really kind of closing the door on a huge proportion of people that are like, well, I have a problem with that, but like, I don't know, like, it seems a little I understand where we're coming from and I, I, I like get it cause I'm an alcoholic, but like, I also think that like, isn't it kind of, um, limiting, like there might be someone who actually has a meeting right now that had a glass of wine tonight with their dinner and they're like, shit, I have to give up my position. Like, you know, I don't know. It's just hard for me to wrap my head around that one. I, I get it. Um, 
And this is, uh, and I hate to do this because it sounds religious, but this is the Buddha's teaching that in order for this path to work, people have to be sober, whether you're an addict or not. This is his teaching. The fifth precept is if you want mindfulness and, and compassion and forgiveness to really take root in your heart, there's no place for recreational drugs and alcohol. The, and this has always been his teaching. And this is Buddhism. We are basing refuge on Buddhism. We are going to adhere to that fifth precept for everyone that wants to utilize this path. Uh, and I feel passionate about that. And we're not going to water it down and we're not going to um, change uh, the Buddha's teachings around this. Isn't it so subjective though? Because couldn't nicotine and caffeine be considered recreational drugs? Not from the Buddhist perspective, no. It's, it's the substances that lead to heedlessness and that block the ability to be mindful. And so sugar and nicotine and, you know, again, like as addicts, people can turn sugar into a heedlessness, right? We can become addicted to it. People can turn nicotine and caffeine and probably, you know, um, you know other minor stimulants in, into um, heedlessness. But the, the Buddha's teaching is it's, it's drugs and alcohol. And, and uh, nicotine and caffeine get a sort of pass. But although, you know, I was speaking to someone the other day, I think that it would be wonderful to have a nicotine um, refuge meeting. You know, so many people suffer so much about recovering from nicotine addiction and that it would certainly be something that the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path could help people recover from nicotine addiction. It's not part of the precepts, but it's certainly part of addiction, just like sugar is. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, um, Richard, you have a, a last word? Last one, we'll end here. No, your hand is just still up, okay. I hope that this Q&A was useful. Um, happy to see everybody, happy to connect some and um, see you next month if more questions are up or things to discuss. Um, and join me on the first Thursday for the refuge class where I actually do some guided meditation and some teaching and hope to see you at some meetings and um, go start some new meetings, go start some in-person meetings now that the world is reopening. And please, if you can, let us know uh, in your area what meetings are happening, what meetings are not happening. We, we, we really need to clean up our, our listings because um, we're not sure what meetings are going to restart and which ones aren't. And uh, it's a whole post-COVID dilemma of uh, the listings on, on the meeting page. So help us if you can. If you have information, send us emails at uh, admin at refugerecovery.org. Uh, there's also, if you have any questions between now and the next Q&A that you want answered, you can send them to questions at refugerecovery.org. Also, if you'd like a question asked at this Q&A live anonymously, please also send it to that same email address, questions at refugerecovery.org. May any goodness that comes from our discussion be shared for the benefit of all addicts 
trying to recover and together may we uh, create a positive change on this planet. So uh, thank you and see you next time. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.